Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Romans. And I am going to preach this morning out of chapter 8. Uh, I want to share a message that is really comes down to two words that I believe God gave me for this congregation early in the week. Now, before I jump into Romans 8, and we're going to look at several different verses in Romans 8, let me ask you a question, and I'm going to date you a little bit with this question. How many of you in this room know who the Justice League is? If I say Justice League, how many of you know what and who that is? All right, that... that Kyle, you know, seriously, good for you, man. I didn't figure anybody under the age of 40 would have any idea whatsoever. Good for you. There was a day, I know this is going to be a shock to some of you. There was a day when if you wanted to see cartoons, you had two options. One was at three o'clock in the afternoon on weekdays. And the other was from about seven o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock noon every Saturday. And if you were a kid, you built, at least in my house, you built your Saturdays around 7 to noon. It was a wonderful time. And there was this thing on, this cartoon on called the Justice League, and there were superheroes within the Justice League. Now, this is old school, way back when, you know, when I was a kid. There weren't like 400 superheroes. Today, we got so many superheroes, who could even keep up? We, I mean, we had the basics. We had Superman. We had Aquaman. We had Wonder Woman. We had Batman. And that was pretty much the majors right there. And there was always this debate that went on, who is the best strong... If, if you're, if, if you're going to go in, in, into battle, which one of them do you want on your side? Now, for me, it was always easy. There was never really any question, and I, I to this day, there, there's two people I would probably have to argue with you about that they are the GOAT, greatest of all time, all right? Basketball, I would, I will go, I will go till the day I die. I will go with Michael Jordan. You can disagree, that's fine, whatever. You're just wrong, but it's okay. I love you anyway. But when it comes to superheroes, my guy was always a guy, although it could have been a woman, but in this case it wasn't. Wonder Woman just didn't quite, you know, it was Superman. How do you just, how do you even argue against Superman? The dude has got one thing kryptonite. That's it. Apart from that, bullets, guy can fly into the sun, faster than light, he, he, he could do it all. So if I'm going to have anybody on my side, it's Superman. You can throw up Batman, you can throw up some of the others, and whatever, whatever. You just, you're wrong, all right? Superman was absolutely the guy. And we're living in a day where there's 400 superheroes out there, but I'm going to tell you, we're also living in a day where this world's pretty mangled. Maybe that's the understatement of the decade. I don't know. It's pretty broken. And, and we're not, you know, it, we always think it's worse today than it was whatever, a decade ago, two decades ago. And I, and, and I get it. To some degree, that's true. But I'm going to tell you what. Mankind's been pretty messed up from the beginning. We, we just have, you know, it, it comes and flows, ebbs and waves. Mankind's been pretty messed up from the beginning. And I want to show you something because even in the days of Paul, this was true. Go with me to Romans 8, and I want to look this morning at verses 18 through 25, and, and, and I want you to see this with me this morning. Romans 8, 18 through 25. 
And while you're getting your Bible there, I'm going to get my Bible there. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I like to focus in on the glory that's to be revealed, but you know you can't have the glory that's to be revealed without the sufferings that you're going through right now. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves." That is a broken world, and it's broken from the get-go. It's broken from the moment where Adam and Eve made their choice. It's broken from the moment where God looked down and saw them in their sin and said, you will now leave the place that I call the Garden of Eden. You will leave the Garden of Eden, and you will go out into this world, and death will now be a part of your existence. That's a pretty broken world. And, you know, we, we read Genesis chapter 3, and we read the curse that was spoken over Eve and over Adam and over the servant and over the creation and the weeds and the work and the dust and pain of childbearing and all of those things. And we think that is God's judgment of anger and, uh, and, and His judgment of, of uh, uh, you know, of, of just making them pay for what they did. And I suppose there's some legitimacy to that, but... When I read Romans here, I think Paul had a little different take. From, from what I just read to you, what I'm seeing there, Paul is saying that God brought the futility, the curse upon the world, not out of a sense of I'm angry with you or a sense of judgment even upon you, but as much as a sense of if I let them go through some brokenness and some hardship and some hard times, maybe there will come a time and a place and a point where they will be redeemed and they will once again desire me. Read that again. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. It was subjected to a curse. It was subjected to some hard times. It was subjected to pain. It was subjected to work. It was subjected to just being messed up. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. God is the one that subjected it to those things in hope. And He did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we e wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This morning I rolled out of bed, and I almost rolled back into bed except I decided it would probably hurt more to roll back into bed than just stay up once I was up. The bottoms of my feet hurt. My calves hurt. My hips hurt. My back hurt. Went downstairs, made a cup of coffee, and went over and tried to stretch my back out. And that's just from four hours of work yesterday. That wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was, it wasn't crazy work. Anybody in this room relate to this today? Okay. I, there are days where I groan inwardly, God, for the redemption of my body. 
I, I don't think I fully appreciated that passage until I broke 40. There's days I, I look forward to the redemption, full redemption of my body. Now, I'm thankful my soul is redeemed. I'm thankful my spirit is redeemed. I'm thankful that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm going to tell you, I look forward to the day. I look forward to the day when, when the trumpet will sound. I look forward to the day whether I am already passed on or I am still alive on this earth. I look forward to the day when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and those that remain will follow behind them and somewhere between here and there. And don't ask me how it's going to work. I don't know. I just know it is. Somewhere between here and there, this body that hurts in the hips and hurts in the feet and hurts in the knees and hurts in the back is going to become glorified. It's going to become redeemed. It's going to line up to finally with my spirit and my soul. And I look forward to that day. Paul says we're all living for that. But here's the reality. We are still living in a world, still living in a day, still living in a time where our world is pretty broken and we need not a superhero, but a supernatural hero. Now y'all, I'm assuming you know this. Superman is not real. We're not going to talk about Santa today. Jesus is. And while I may argue with you about who's the goat, superhero or basketball player, there's not any, even any argument to be had about the supernatural hero, Jesus Christ. And if I've got to call on somebody, I'm going to call upon Jesus long before I call upon Superman or long before I even try to call upon Michael Jordan. Although if I'm playing basketball, I'm sure he would come. Yeah. Right? We're living in a day and an age where we need a supernatural hero, and Jesus is that hero. This morning, I want to jump down just a few verses with, with you, if you will do it. Jump down to verse 31, and I, I want to go down here, and I want to read about seven verses, and then I want to preach here for a little while, because we are living in a pretty broken world, broken relationships, broken communities, broken government, broken educational institutions, broken families, broken marriages, broken just a pretty broken world. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the title of my message this morning. This, this is the, these are the two words that, three words, I felt God tell me to preach early in the week, and it's this, God is for you. That's four words. Should have counted earlier. God is for you. There you go. God is for you. I want you to know that this morning. Listen to me. If you don't remember anything I preached this morning, I want you to remember this reality, this truth, okay? Are you ready for this? Get this. I'm going to stay here for just a second because I, I don't want it to slip away when you leave the parking lot. God is for you. God is for you. If, if you don't remember anything else this morning, know this. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what your back feels like. God is for you for you. God is for you. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was also raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for you. I've got a friend of mine. He is about six years older than I am. He played high school football in northern Indiana uh, in a pretty big school system up there, uh, Mishawaka. Have you ever heard of Penn? Penn High School, pretty, pretty big football program. Well, this was a lot of years ago because he's six years older than me. So this is, this is back in the late 70s. Um, but he, as a freshman, he went into high school and he wanted to make the varsity team. And he happened to be somebody that God just gave the DNA, the genetics. He, he big guy, big guy. And, uh, but he, he told, I heard him tell this story when I was about 12. I heard him tell this story. He said, I went in as a freshman and he said, my coach hated me. He said, he was hard on me. He said, I knew this man did not like me. He gave me more grief and more hardship and more difficulty than anybody else on the team. And day after day, practice after practice, he would call me out and he would push, up, push me as we got closer and closer to the open of the season. And I, I knew without a doubt in my mind, this man hated me because of the misery that I went through every day on the practice. Convinced this coach was against him. Every sign indicated he said, I came in the day before our opening game and I was sitting in the locker room and the coach came in and, and called me by name and talked to me for a minute and turned around and started out the door and turned around and said, hey, you make sure tonight you get home and you get a good night's sleep. And he looked up at him with a kind of a question mark in his eyes. Okay, coach, I'll do that. He said, because I want my starting line, I want my starting line well-rested tomorrow for the beginning game. And what he found out in that moment, what he found out in that instant, that all of the hardship and all of the difficulty and all of the grief and all of the pushing and all of the stuff that he was going through that, that the coach had laid out there and laid on him wasn't because the coach was against him. It was because the coach actually was for him and believed in him and was pushing him because he wanted him to get to the place where he would be on the starting team in the opening game. And as a freshman, he stepped in and started for one of the best programs in the state. Sometimes we get to feel the same way and it's natural and it's understandable and I struggle with it as much as the next person. God, are you really for me? Because right now, God, I don't feel like you're really for me. Here's the truth. Life hurts. Circumstances aren't fair. 
A broken world will impact every piece of our life. But it doesn't change the reality that God is for us. God is for us. God is for you this morning. Now we read that passage and we preach there many times, if God is for you, who can be against you? And the implication is, if God's for you, the implication is, it's not, it's, it, the implication is not that there isn't going to be anything or anybody against you. It's that anything or anybody that comes against you is going to get defeated, right? I, I mean, we don't really read that. If God is for you, who can be against us? And think, well, then there's nobody against me. Everybody loves me. Life is good. Sunshine and bunnies. I don't know anybody that's been saved more than 30 seconds that really believes that or feels that or accepts that or expects that. It doesn't mean that. What it means is whatever comes against me, God is greater. God is for me, therefore nothing can be against me or overcome me or defeat me. And we focus in a lot of times on the, if God is for me, God is for me, that's wonderful. But let's just talk about the flip side of that for a minute because I think you all are lived enough life to realize that there's plenty of people and things against you. Isn't there? And when I really started to read through that last part of Romans 8 with that in mind, I realized pretty quickly that Paul really called out three things that will come against us. The first one's this. Take your finger like this and do this. Y'all get it? There was a captain back in 1812 fought the battle of uh, Lake Erie against the British, defeated them. He sent a famous, quasi-famous message back to President Harrison and said, we have met the enemy, and they are ours. In the 70s, we had a um, cartoonist, a satirist, uh, a, a kind of a comedian cartoonist, took that phrase and he turned it to what you all are more familiar with, and it goes like this. We have met the enemy, and he is us. And many times that's, that's the biggest fight we fight is us. Paul lays that out in Romans 8, and, and, and it goes like this. I'm, I'm going to read to you verses eight through or 5 through 8. He said this, now, now, now just listen to how Paul describes me as my biggest enemy. He said, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Many times the biggest enemy that I will ever fight isn't the enemy that lives across the street or the enemy that I work for, or, or even, you know, we, we, the, I'm... The devil's a reality, okay? But you know what? Many times the biggest enemy we fight isn't even the devil as much as it is the influence the devil's had upon us and we are our biggest enemy. 
Because we don't realize that if I want to control my life, if I, I want to have victory in my life, then the place I've got to start is right here in my mind. That's what Paul said. The person that sets his mind upon the Spirit finds life. The person that sets his mind upon the flesh finds death. And it's a challenge. Anybody else struggle with your mind? Anybody? I, I, I don't know that Christians really need to say this often, but sometimes we think too much. I usually make that argument the other way. Christians need to be thinking people, okay? But you get the point. I pray this almost every day. Lord, will you renew my mind and restore my heart and my spirit? Because every day I get up and I step out of bed and I step into a broken world and I see things and I hear things and I feel things and, and, and I learn things that are not spiritual. As a matter of fact, most of what all of us go through day in and day out from the moment you get out and ha get up and have your first cup of coffee. If you don't have coffee, you need you need to. <laughs> It'll make your life so much better. Two things in the morning I need, Jesus and coffee, in that order. <laughs> but from that moment forward, everything that comes at us is not spiritual. And, and we need to be praying, God, renew, restore my mind. Because I'm my biggest enemy. I look forward to the day, folks. Where sin is no longer a temptation. I look forward to the day where this flesh body, physical body, will become immortal. And I'll stand in eternity with you all by the grace of God. And no more temptation. But that day is not today. And every one of us, every one of us, we struggle with temptation. Now, temptation is not sin. Get this, okay? Sometimes Christians miss this. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the desire to sin. Temptation will not send you to hell. What will send you to hell is when you taste of temptation and you like temptation and you play with temptation and you keep coming back to temptation until, until temptation becomes sin and then when sin is fulfilled, it will bring death. I look forward to the day where temptation has come and it's gone and it's passed and my body is a turtle. But until that day comes, we have got to grab a hold of the flesh, of the desires, of the heart, of the mind, and realize that we oftentimes are our biggest enemies. Now listen, I'm going to ask you this morning, but I don't really want an answer, but I do want you to think about it. I, I just want you to think about it in these terms I've pastored enough decades now in my life to know that there are those that they will they, they struggle and they struggle and they struggle with what goes through their mind. Some, some people struggle with self-doubt. Some people struggle with jealousy. Some people struggle with lust. Some people struggle with addictions towards other things. And, and all of us have something that we struggle with, that, that we're tempted by more than anything else. I've told you this before. I've never in my life been tempted by broccoli. Broccoli does not tempt me. It is not a challenge in my life. It is not an issue. It is not a problem. You all get that, I think, unless you're a broccoli lover, in which case I'll give an altar call later, okay? But we are all tempted by something, and we all have something in our life that will pull it at us. And in those moments where it feels like the temptation's winning, 
And usually those are moments where I'm not walking as close to Christ as I should. But in those moments, it's easy to begin to think, God, seriously? You know how hard I battled this. You know how often I've prayed. Do you really love me? I don't know what your temptation is this morning. Don't want to know. Don't need to know. But I want you to know this. Even in the middle of temptation, even in the middle of struggle and weakness, even, the, even, even and, and I pray these moments don't happen, but I, I, I know they do, even in the moment of failure, God is for you. You know how for you He is? You know how for you He is? He's so much for you that He hung on a cross to cover your sin, not to give you an excuse to sin, but to realize that in those moments where you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You can go to Him, and Christ Jesus, you can go to Him and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. God is for you. That's how much God is for you. God is for you. I read these passages, I read Romans, and I see that there are three things in life that God that, that, that come at us that really challenge this thing of, God, are you for me? The second one is this, it's time. This is every one of our lives right here. Y'all see that? Every one of us has, has this is our life. It's an hourglass and the sand starts the moment we're born. And unless Jesus comes, every one of us is going to have a moment where that blue sand is going to run out. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. I believe Paul got this. He talks about it in verse 23 when he says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. He also tells us in verse 38, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor present nor things to come can separate me from the love of God. Because every one of us fight this battle. And can I tell you this? In the flesh, every one of us is going to lose this battle. And that's why you've got to know this morning, God is for you. How much? How much is God for you? Enough that He said, I will hang on a cross so I can offer my people eternal life. Life eternal. God is for you. There's one other area I would say this morning we struggle with, we fight against. Romans 8, 32, 33, and 34 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I'll tell you who. The devil. It's God who justifies. I had a couple in a church I, the, that I pastored in South Bend. They didn't like me. 
a lot. And this wasn't one of those coaching situations, okay? They, they really just were not fans. And that's fine. People don't have to like me. I prefer you do, but if you don't, it's okay. But they started to grumble and complain. People will do that. Started to try to push back against some things. Some pe- can I just say, sometimes people are just dumb. Can I just say that? It's out there. So this, we're, we're planting this church, and it's a, it's a small church. I mean, at this point, we've got probably 12 to 15 people in the whole church. And they decided that they didn't like me, so they were going to find somebody that they could kind of sow some seeds of discord and cause some problems and friction. And so you know who they went to? Church 12 people. You know who they went to? My mom. I mean, they could have probably found anybody else better than my mom. Because I'm going to tell you what, you go to my mom and tell her what a horrible person I am, it's not going to work well. For one thing, the first thing she's going to do is call me and say, hey, you know what I was told today? The devil comes to Jesus, comes to the Lord and says, hey, let me accuse the brethren. Let me accuse Cheryl. Let me accuse Joe. Let me accuse Kyle. Let me accuse Dennis. Let me accuse Brian. The devil comes to the Lord and says, let me accuse him. That's worse than going to my mom because my mom, while she loves me and she gave birth to me, she never died for me. And it's Jesus who justifies. So how does the devil do that? He realizes he's not going to get very far with the Lord. Verse 34 goes on and says, Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Well, if he can't go to the Lord and (laughs) accuse you, what he does is comes to you and accuses you. But this is the way he works. He condemns you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. The devil condemns you. The Holy Spirit says you are meant to be more than that, and you are meant to be better than that, and you can walk free of that, and you need to go a different direction. The devil comes and says you're a loser, and you'll never overcome that, and you might as well quit trying, and you might as well just embrace it, and you're... He condemns, and the Lord convicts. I We had a, a young pastor... Uh, at the altar at our district council we just had uh, earlier this week, Monday and Tuesday, and uh, just shared a little bit of something he was going through in his church. I don't even remember which church it was, but he apparently had some family members that were uh, coming against him and didn't like the way he was preaching. And this is what they said to him, Pastor, we don't like what you're doing. You're not preaching good enough. You're not preaching the way you ought to be preaching. You need to be preaching more against sin. I have no idea the circumstances, but I know what was conveyed later, that it wasn't that they didn't like, that he didn't preach against sin. It was that he didn't preach condemnation. 
And there are some people that get that mixed up. They, in fact, I've had people tell me I don't preach about sin enough. And I'm like, you listen to the same sermons that I listen to? But anyway, but what they usually mean isn't that you're not preaching hard enough against sin. It's mean you're, they mean you're not preaching enough condemnation. And that's the way the devil works. He comes and throws guilt on you, not conviction. And, and, and in the middle of all that, this morning, I want you to get this. I want you to know this. Jesus said, I've not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. God is for you. And I don't know if you're here this morning and you struggle with guilt and you struggle with condemnation. If you do, hear me. God is for you. He's for you when you are perfect. Look, we all have 60-second windows where we're perfect. Right? He's for you then. But he's also for you all those other windows where we're not. He's still for you. He still died on a cross for you. Let me bring this to a close this morning. It goes like this. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And I could preach there for a while, but I won't because we're running up against the window of time. But it, 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 it goes like this. Tribulation, you're going to have it. God is for you. Distress. Some of you are going through it. God is for you. Persecution, some of you are walking in it right now. God is for you. Famine and nakedness or lack of the basics of life, God is for you. Danger and sword, God is for you. He goes on in the last part of that and he says, Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Life and death, every one of you is born. Every one of us, our sand will run out at some point. But God is still for you. Angels and rulers and powers, present and future, heights and depths, anything made God is still for you. Now listen, I am so thankful that there are moments in life that are blue sky and puppies. We have those moments. Enjoy them. But even when life isn't that, know this. Know this deep in your spirit, deep in your soul. Whatever you're walking through this morning, God is for you. Don't let the devil persuade you differently. Don't let your own mind persuade you differently. Don't let your own heart persuade you differently. Don't let your family persuade you differently. Don't let circumstances persuade you differently. Don't let hard things that you're walking through persuade you differently. God loves you and God is for you. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. This morning, what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask, ask, ask you to stand. And what I'd like to do before we dismiss is pray for you and pray over you. You'd bow your heads for just a moment this morning. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor Barry, right now I'm in the middle of one of those moments in life where I don't see it. I know it, but I don't feel it. I know it, but I don't see it. I want to feel God is for me. I, 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 want, I want more than just the head knowledge. I want the heart knowledge. If you're going through that place in life right now, would you put your hand up for just a moment and let me pray for you and pray over you. Several hands. Father, right now, 
Every hand that's lifted. Every battle that's being fought. Every lie that's being thrown by the enemy. I rebuke. In the name of Jesus. And I pray this morning, right now, Lord, in, in this service, give us a moment, please, Lord. Holy Spirit, go to every person. Every individual that had their hand up. Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, breathe across their heart and their mind. God, speak to them, Lord, how much you love them. Touch their inner being, Lord, and let them feel the presence and the love and the compassion of you. Holy Spirit, breathe across their minds. God, give them that confidence of how much you are for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at me for just a second. Know this. Next time the devil comes to you and says, quit, he doesn't love you. You don't have to say anything back. Just do this. Just do this. That's how much he loves you. God bless you guys. Love you. Appreciate you. Go with the Lord this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.